It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. Mark Schetzker is a travel writer and humorist who searched the globe for the perfect steak, encountering the remarkable and often bizarre subcultures of its passionate aficionados in the process. The result? Steak. One man's search for the world's tastiest piece of beef. And Mark says no other meat merits its own class structure. There is no such place as a lamb house, pork house, but even a small town may have a steakhouse. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm great. Amy, how are you? Good. Well, you know, kind of a silly question. One of those, one of those obvious questions. But why do you suppose the steak is so iconic? I I, it's funny. It seems like an obvious question, and I don't have an answer. It just is. It's it is the most delicious meat. <laughs> I think meat eaters would agree. I think so too. I mean, you know, that's one of those things you don't you don't suddenly crave you know a bowl of cereal. You crave a steak. So, as you traveled the world and you were in search of the perfect uh, steak, what were some of the most remarkable things that you bumped into? I bumped into many interesting things. I guess the the most interesting is that. Everybody's idea of a great steak changes from country to country. Uh, we value marbling highly in North America. The Japanese value it even more highly. They, they serve steaks that, that are more like bacon in terms of how much fat there is. And then you go to other steaks where, or sorry, other countries, yeah. where the steaks are incredibly lean. So the idea changes. Um, what people are after seems to vary depending on the culture. And yet you still get great steaks in a lot of those places. Well, I know that one of the steaks that uh, I had the opportunity to taste in another country was in Italy, the Bistecca Florentine, where they like to still have it a little bit um, almost purpley inside still. Yes, exactly, almost purpley. <laughs> exactly. And how did you, did you taste that one, and what did you think about that? You know, it, it's a great steak. It's one of the steaks that actually put me on this mission. I went to Tuscany with my wife on our honeymoon, and we had a steak our first night in Florence, and I was totally blown away. Um, and that's one of the things, one of the steaks that got me wondering why are some steaks so much better than others? So it is absolutely a great steak. But interestingly, I think there are even greater steaks. And what do you think were some of the best? I had a steak in Scotland that absolutely blew my mind. I will, I will say also that most of the steak in Scotland isn't very good at all, but I had one particular steak that was incredible. It was from a Highland steer. Highland's a really funny looking breed of cattle. They look like they're from the Ice Age, big shaggy coats and huge long horns. And the steak, interestingly, was not marbled at all. Uh, if it would grade here, it would maybe grade select. So it's the kind of steak that if you saw it in the grocery store, you'd probably pass it over. And I was just totally rocked by it. Uh, also had a tremendously good steak in Argentina. Um, Argentina is kind of a, a fabled land of steak. Yeah. Uh, it's got a great reputation, but what people don't know uh, is that it's kind of in trouble right now. They used to be well-known for their grass-fed steak, and in the last 10 years or so, their agricultural sector has completely turned upside down. It had a lot to do with the fact that they had a, an economic crisis, uh, you know, just around the millennium, and it's getting very hard to find that steak. Uh, they used to reserve all their best land to finish cattle, basically to get cattle fat, and they don't do that anymore, um, which is very sad. So it's very hard now to find a good steak in Argentina, but I did manage to find one. Well, some of the time the steak that you were eating, probably what set it apart was, uh, this is sort of a crazy way to refer to it, but the terroir of the meat, sort of like you have the terroir of wine. That's I, not a crazy idea at all. In fact, I, I think steak is more of a terroir food than wine because we tend to do certain things to wine, oak being a great example, that to a certain degree blunt the effects of the terroir. Um, 
And we don't do that so much with steak. I mean, unless you put one of those horrible steak sauces on it. So I think steak can be incredibly reflective of both the land on which it's raised, but also the the knowledge and skill of of the farmer or rancher who's raising it. Absolutely. But then there's also how it's prepared. So, for example, even if we can't get Argentine beef, maybe we can have a steak prepared in the manner of an Argentine, you know? We certainly could. But the interesting thing about Argentina is that their method of preparation is so simple and it's just salt. Um, yeah. And this is something I found many places. Uh, I found it in Japan and I found it in Italy. I found it in Scotland and I even found it amongst steak aficionados in the United States which is that if you're dealing with a truly great piece of meat, an, an excellent ribeye from an excellent steer or heifer, only put salt on it. Not even pepper. Well, I think pepper's okay. That's about as far as anyone will Right, push but it. you don't need to get into heavily. As you say, not, not that steak sauce is horrible. I know a lot of people who like it, but boy, oh boy, you don't need to cover anything up. Exactly. Um, it's interesting at uh, Peter Luger Steakhouse in New York, they're, they're famous for their sauce. But if you ask them, they say the, sto- the sauce is for the tomatoes. <laughs> they say, don't put it on the steak. It doesn't need it. Uh, well, you know, you've got all of these great steak top fives that come from the book. Again, the name of it is Steak, One Man's Search for the World's Tastiest Piece of Beef. And I, I like this. First of all, you say the five best steak cuts. You start with a ribeye. Yes, ribeye. Um, and this, isn't, this is partly my own thinking, but I met steak aficionados, and I mean true aficionados, the world over, and everybody keeps coming back to the ribeye. Uh, I think only in uh, Italy, ribeye is one of them, but they're also very partial to what we would call a porterhouse or a T-bone. But, yeah, ribeye. Everyone loves a ribeye. Yeah. And and interestingly, number two in your top five also is in a, in another top five later on, tongue, Japanese style. So yes. tell me about this. Well, this is something I wasn't expecting. I had never, it had never before occurred to me to eat tongue as a steak. Uh, I only really remember it from my youth. My dad would kind of pick up some tongue at a deli, and I don't recall enjoying it very much. But what the Japanese do is they kind of peel the skin off, and then you're left with a kind of a long tubular-shaped piece of meat that looks, uh, I guess you could say, like a mini tenderloin. Uh-huh. And then they slice it into coins, basically, not much thicker than a coin, and grill it on an extremely hot grill. And it's on there for seconds. And it comes off, and it's kind of crispy and juicy, and it just melts in your mouth. It is unbelievable. So like little discs, almost little medallions it's, it's prepared as. Exactly. Just, yeah, exactly like that. Interesting. And then, of course, the other ones that aren't so surprising, strip loin, top sirloin, and a skirt steak. And I know a lot of people might think of skirt steak as, you know, the only thing you're going to get with, a, with your eggs. But how, did you see it prepared in other ways that were wonderful? In fact, I didn't. I just had some skirt steaks that were wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the truth is, if somebody wants to make an argument for flank steak um, or for some of the other... See, I love flank steak. steak I, I, I'd, I'd argue with them, but I don't think I'd go too far because those are also wonderful cuts. And by the time you get to four and five, it gets pretty tricky. Yeah. Well, I know for my husband, it's number three. It's a New York strip. But I know so many people who, who just love the ribeye. And, of course, I've got to say, I don't know anybody except for you who put tongue into the top five. But I'm going to be open-minded. I would encourage... <laughs> those doubters to to try it and the other thing you might notice is that tenderloin is not in there yeah it surprises me because i love beef tenderloin what i would ask you to do is to buy some beef tenderloin and then buy a ribeye and compare them and tell me which one you think has more flavor i think what we love about beef tenderloin is that it's it's kind of guaranteed tender yes great cut for dinner party because if someone shows up late 
or something happens, it's, it's not going to ruin the dinner. Yeah. Um, it's a, that's probably a good steak to put a sauce on because it doesn't actually have that much flavor. But when I think of a steak that is just broadcasting the steaky qualities of steak, I, I go ribeye. You know, I've got to tell you, the way that I cook my beef tenderloin is I sear it. It's only salt and peppered. I sear it in a very hot pan. Then I brush it with Dijon mustard. Then I put it in a really hot oven, immediately drop it, and I cook it till only 120 degrees. And I've got to tell you, I love my beef tenderloin. And it may be that I'm giving it a little boost with some Dijon, you know. But well, I, by the sounds of it, I think I would love it, too. It sounds oh, great. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. But I, I think that your top five are amazing, and I know they sound they sound like all worth trying. But I like how you say the five best ways to cook a steak. And some not a surprise over glowing coals or a gas burner in a pan. I like on a seriously hot rock. <laughs> and are you serious about that? Yeah, I'm definitely serious. I found this in Japan at a steakhouse in Tokyo, an extraordinarily expensive steakhouse, uh, where they take these rocks that come from a sacred Buddhist town. I don't know if they're lava rocks or what, and they heat them in a kiln for something like eight hours. And when they, they bring the rock to the table and kind of ceremoniously present it, and it wow. is... It is just radiating heat to the point that your nose starts to run and you kind of have to stand back. It feels like those times that you stood too close to the campfire. You just kind of have to shuffle down a bit. And then they bring the steak and they just, you know, with these big long chopsticks, they lay little pieces of steak on the rock. And it, and I mean, it just starts to spatter and it, it's... Amazing. And, you know, part of that would be the whole experience as well, obviously, which is very cool. And then you say on a steak next to the fire. Now, next to the fire, not in it, huh? Well... Or you mean you're next to the fire. Yes, I mean I'm next to the fire. (laughs) Okay. Well, the steak is not in the fire. I guess the steak is over top the fire. Right, okay. But what you can also do is, I mean, that's actually, there is something interesting. If you are going to cook over a fire and it's at the fire stage, you should cook next to it. You shouldn't have the steak over raw yellow flame. The ideal thing to do would be to wait till your flame dies down a bit into the coal stage right. and then cook, and you'll get a better steak. Right. Okay, now I get it. I was thinking this was some new crazy technique where, you know, you propped it up beside the fire. I thought, wow, where'd he learn that one? <laughs> well, well, and interestingly, that's what the Argentines do. They They do prop it next to the fire. They put it on a... Um, it, they kind of hammer these stakes into the ground, stake, an appropriate word, <laughs> and drape the stake on the stake next to the fire, and that way the fat drips onto the ground and not into the fire, and they get a very lovely steak. Uh. And the way they started this was it was their cowboys, because they couldn't drag a grill on the back of their horse all over the place, so they would just bring kind of a, a you know, sharpen a stick or bring just a single iron rod, and that's how... That's how they started cooking steak that way. You know, I love how so many cooking techniques and recipes either were because of need or because it made the most sense, you know, that so many things have come from that. Well, I want to let you, I have you leave us today with some of the lessons that American steak lovers can learn from other countries. Yes. Okay. Number one, I would say, is don't buy the cheapest piece of beef. Um, Look look for different kinds of beef. Try grass-fed beef. Try organic. Try some of these, these newer things that are coming along because that's where you'll find some steak that actually tastes different. And it's like wine. There's lots of variety, and, and the variety is, what's make, is what makes it exciting. The other thing I would say is don't feel that you have to cook a really, really thick steak. There's this kind of mythology that a steak should be thicker than your clenched fist. And I don't think that's true. I mean, a thick steak is wonderful. I think if you push it too far, you're actually cooking roast beef. Um, and you know something? A thin steak is really wonderful. The, the worst part about a thin steak is there might not be enough. So I would just say, 
cook more than one. Yeah, good point. And then, of course, the marinades. You're saying don't get, don't add too much other flavor. Let's taste the steak, huh? Yes. Here, here's the thinking. I'm not. I don't want to abolish marinades. I think for really good cuts, like a ribeye, for example, you don't need one. Part of what a marinade does is it softens the meat. Uh, there's, you know, acid in there that loosens up the meat fibers. A ribeye doesn't need that, um, and you'll actually end up kind of distorting the great texture that is there. But the other thing is, I really want people to get in touch with the flavor of beef as beef. It, it has a, unlike chicken, it has a good flavor. And we sometimes lose that when we put all these things on it. So but before, you know, reaching for the marinade or for the spice rub or the steak sauce, I'd encourage people just to cook steak with salt on the grill in the pan, whatever they like, and taste it and get to know it as it really is. Well, and let me tell you, you can really get to know steak in the book, Steak. It's called Steak One Man's Search for the World's Tastiest Piece of Beef by Mark Schatzker. And Mark, it's really a terrific book. And of course, you've got a, a website as well because you first were, became known for your trip around the world, right? That's right, yes. Um, and so I have a website. I, I, I'm starting to collect the kind of addresses and contact information for great farmers and ranchers so that people who are interested in tasting great steak can know where to find it. Oh, very cool. And so where do we find that information? That is steakthebook.com. Okay, perfect. And I will put that on amystable.com as well. But Mark, thank you so much for this little overview of steak. Thank you, Amy. I had a great time. Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q! It's Amy's Table with Amy Tolman. Yeah. Q102.